Amen. So, um, before we get into, we're going to finish the book. We're going to finish chapter 18 of Exodus tonight. And I got to be honest, I'm pretty excited because chapter 19 and chapter 20 are two of my faves in, in Exodus. Uh, chapter 19 is just an awesome display of the magnitude and power of God as he descends down upon the mountain of, uh, of Sinai. And then of course, Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. So we'll spend some time walking through those and applying those. Uh, not just addressing them. But before we get to the end of Exodus 18, which we'll finish the chapter tonight, I want to just make you aware that um, we've, we've you know, spent the last, I don't know, we started in September with the building maybe. Is that when they started construction and started all this? And you can see the concrete's out there. They're going to, be, they're going to start erecting steel next week probably at some point. And so it, it's coming along. Um, there is a whole lot that is going to start happening in the very near future. Uh, for instance, just, um, just by way of example, uh, around mid-February, we're going to bring, be bringing in some storage containers that are going to uh, you know, be back. We're going we're gonna to put them somewhere that's out of everybody's way, so they're not going to be in the way of any ministry or anything. Uh, but we're going we're gonna to start prepping things for storage while they're in this, in this area. We're going to have to store the couches. We're going to have to store all the library materials. We're going to have to store pretty much everything that we're going to keep. And uh, in the midst of that, you know, if you've lived in your house for 20 years or 30 years, you know there's some stuff in the corner that's going to get thrown away. Uh, so some of that's going to some of that's going to happen. Um, after Easter, we're going to be in this space um, unchanged until after Easter Sunday. We're going to have Easter Sunday here just like normal. Everything's Easter Sunday. After Easter Sunday, everything's going to be moved and we're going to move into the gym and all that. And right now as a staff, we are actively and weekly meeting, discussing how we're going to uh, strategically do VBS, how we're going to do D-Now, how we're going to do all the things that we, we do. And some of that's going to have to be scaled down. Some of it's going to have to, we're going to have to do things a little differently. So what I'm asking for as we begin this process, uh, and like I said, nothing's going to change fundamentally until Easter, um, but I'm, I'm, I just need a lot of grace. I need a lot of grace from, from everyone. I need a lot of understanding uh, I told you when we started this, there are going to be some inconveniences we're going to have to go through. Uh, so things are going to change, and uh, it's never easy. It's never easy for anyone. So I think that, of course, we always know as we walk through books of the Bible and we walk through scriptures verse by verse, section by section, we've seen it over the last five years that I've been here. We've seen it over and over again. God always puts us right where we need to be, right at the right time for the lesson we need to learn and the truth we need to hear. Uh, and that's no different tonight. Our lesson tonight is going to speak to some of that. We're going to finish, as I said, Exodus 18. And the last time we were in Exodus 18, we did, which was last week, we did verses 1 through 12. Um, and in 1 through 12, what we saw was the conversion of Jethro. You remember that? You were here for that. Most, most of you were here for that. Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, who was from Midian, a priest of Midian, came and met Moses and the Israelites as they were getting close to the mountain of God. Uh, and he brought Moses' family with him. And he came to, for lack of a way, better way to put it, he came to faith in the one true God. And we saw him accept uh, that, that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, is God over all of the gods. There are no other gods. And that he marveled over the salvation that, that God had brought from uh, the Israelites from Egypt. 
uh, and he uh, was accepted into the covenant community. We saw that at the very end of the last few verses, verses 10, 11, and 12, we saw that the elders of Israel and Aaron came in uh, and they had a more or less a fellowship, a covenant meal with uh, Jethro, signifying his entrance into that covenant community. Now in verses 13 through 27, we're going to look at a passage that's very, very familiar uh, to a lot of you. You've probably read it many times. You've probably heard many sermons about it. Um, it's Jethro's advice uh, to Moses about how to lead the people in certain ways. This passage is used a lot of times to demonstrate leadership principles, how to run an organization, how to manage, how to delegate, how to do all those things. And, and that's true, of course, um, and we're going to see some of that as we walk through it. But more fundamentally, I think, it, it shows how the covenant community of God is to function as a body together. Um, as not an organization, but an organism, the body of the body of Christ, the New Testament puts it. And we're going to see how our commission to make disciples has to be done together. It can't be done in isolation. And all that we're going to see from Jethro, from this guy who is a priest of Midian, who has just now come into the covenant community of God. So let's, let's read the passage. We're just going to read the whole thing because it's not that long. And we're going to, uh, we're, we're going to see uh, uh, what we're going to be looking at tonight. So Jethro has just told Moses, Now I know that God is above all gods. He has saved you and he rejoiced and he sacrificed to the, to the God of Israel. He had a covenant fellowship meal with uh, the elders of Israel, signifying him coming into the covenant community. And then uh, it says in verse 13, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning to evening? And then it says, Man, I'm going to have to do something about this. Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for this thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. And then he gives advice. He says, Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all from all the people, from yeah, from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you. But any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure and all the people also will go to their place 
in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard cases they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and he went away to his own country. This is the last time we'll see Jethro. So the first thing that we're going to look at as we take this text apart and kind of piece together what, uh, what the application is for us and for uh, God's people is you see first Moses and Israel's problem is identified by Jethro. It says, the next day Moses sat to judge the people and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. What does it mean by Moses was judging the people? Sometimes that can be confusing as we talk about that. What does it mean to be judging the people? What was he doing? He was handling their disputes. What, what else was he doing? Instruction in God's laws. Yeah, he was, he was the guy. He was... Um, he was doing those things. He was teaching them how to walk in the ways of God. He was handling, you know, when, when Israelites had disputes. And uh, give me some, what are some examples of what that might look like? What are some disputes people might have? Remember, there's two million of them, and they're all intense, and they're all, you know, nomadically wa walking through the wilderness towards Sinai. At this time, they're camped uh, near Sinai. But what are some disputes that might come about? Don't think of yourself as like uh, an Israelite in 4000 BC. Think of yourself as like today, you're amongst a bunch of people all together all the time. What are some disputes that might come about? Money? Money? <laughs> Land? Yeah, his tent's too close to mine, Moses. Do something, you know? <laughs> There's no telling. There's no telling. It could be anything. They took my chickens, you know? They, they, who, yeah, yeah. The, and, and Moses is engaging, it says in verse 13, he's engaging in this activity from morning until night. So if that's so, and it is because Scripture says so clearly, Moses, in fact, is writing this under the uh, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. If he's engaging in this activity from morning till night, how much time does he have to fulfill his duties as a leader of Israel? Zero, unless he's staying up all night. I don't know how that works. But he has, he has no time. This is, this is all he is doing. I mean, literally all he is doing. Huh? He's listening to all their problems. That's right. It not only says that he was doing this all day, it says the people were standing around him all day long from morning to night. And then in verse 14, Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, we read this. He says, he saw what he was doing for the people. He says, what is this you're doing for the people? Why do you sit, and here's the key word, alone? And all the people stand around you from morning to evening. What we're going to see is, we've, we've read the text, but what we're going to see as we walk through Jethro's advice and his counsel and what he says the problem here is, there's nothing wrong with Moses judging and teaching and instructing and doing. In fact, that's part of his calling. 
That's part of his duty as God's chosen leader of Israel, as God's chosen shepherd over these people. What was wrong is that this is all that he is doing because it's taking up all of his time. He's, and the reason it's doing so is because he's doing it alone. He alone is doing it. So every little case that comes up among two million people or so had to be personally attended to by Moses. And it's clear with that many people, you know it was an everyday thing, all day thing. And justice for some people was delayed because they couldn't get to Moses because there's a big long line of people trying to get to Moses. And it was just from morning to evening, from morning to evening, from morning to evening. And you have to think that it hindered him from being faithful to the rest of his calling, to doing what God has called him to do and leading the people to the right place in the right way. And not only that, it was wearing him out. And it was wearing the people out as well. So Jethro asked him, why are you doing this? Why is this happening like this? Why are people standing around you all day? And so Moses offers an explanation to Jethro. Well, Jethro, you don't understand. This is what has to be done. In verse 15 and 16, it says, Moses said to his father-in-law, this is why it's happening, because the people come to me to inquire of God. I'm the prophet. I'm the one God speaks to. We're going to see that as he goes up to the mountain and comes back down to the people. God chose Moses to speak to the people through him. That's a fact. It says, the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and the other, and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Even before the law was given at Sinai, before the Ten Commandments and all of the other commandments that are going to be given uh, here in the next four or five chapters, uh, Moses was God's prophet, his spokesman. Moses inquires of God, uh, and, and that's a good thing. That's what Moses should be doing. He is God's spokesman for the people. He's his chosen representative, and he solves the disputes among the people. We talked about that just a second ago. You can imagine what kind there was. You know, As I was thinking through this, I, I, I couldn't help but imagine we're talking about small cases and big cases, and, and I just imagine somebody Moses saying, okay, who's next? Moses, this guy took my donkey, and it's not fair. He needs to give me a donkey back. Okay, here's your donkey, whatever, whatever. Moses, this guy's tent is too close. Moses, Malachi won't stop touching me. You know, it's no no telling what kind of stuff that Moses was having to do. The little bitty stupid stuff and the big huge things that that really required uh, God's God's, uh, um, uh, man to intercede. Moses was administering the civil law all day long. And God was leading him to decide these things. But he was also teaching God's law to them, teaching God's you know, standards to him. And I think, uh, I think from the text we can infer that Moses had good intentions. Like he was trying to meet the spiritual needs of the people. He was trying to be faithful to his calling and the work Moses was doing needed to be done. He was leading them by, by solving these problems that came up, guiding them with godly wisdom, shepherding them to live godly lives. He's saying, I'm making known the statutes of God to them. This is what Moses is supposed to be doing. This is right. The problem is it's not all Moses was supposed to be doing. And it, he was take, it was taking all of his time, all of his energy, 
And Moses seemed to be, for, for even if his intentions were good, it seemed to be that he assumed he was the only one that could do this. And that means by default, he was not growing people. He was not building leaders. He was not discipling people, making disciples of people, if you want to put it in a New Testament context. We often get the same way. You know, too often, I know I find myself this way, but I think most of us could probably agree that we are this way. Especially today, we're more project-minded than anything else. You know, we want to get the job done. There's a task that needs to be done. There's a ministry that needs to be administered. There's a project that needs to be completed. And the goal of it all is just get the job done. You know, I've told this story before, but I remember one of the, one of the biggest regrets I have in my parenting, uh, my oldest son, who is 22 now, uh, I remember when he was six, seven years old, and I know some of you heard this before, but I was, I was out cleaning the garage, and my whole, my whole goal is get done so I can get inside and watch the football game. Um, and he's out there, just a little kid, and you know what happens. Dad, can I help? Yeah, sure. And then help turns into you're making a bigger mess for me to clean up, you know, and you're no help at all, really. You're just whatever. And, and finally it got to the point where I'm like, listen, just stand over there, and keep me company. I'll do it all. We'll get finished. And, and, you know, that's good for getting the project done if that's the goal. But the goal is not getting the project done. The goal is raising up a young man in a godly way, teaching him responsibility. And in that instance, and in several more instances I can share with you, I, I failed. Because the, the, the goal was get it done. The work is here, get the work done. The project's here, get the project done. Hurry up and finish, get the job done. But in the Christian life, the life following Christ, the life making disciples, our job, our calling is not to get the job done. It's to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And sometimes that comes at the expense of getting the job done. Sometimes that means you have to bear with someone who can't do the job as well as you could do it, but they need to grow and they need to flourish and they need to come to an understanding of how all this is going to work. And that's hard. The reality is that people are our project as disciple makers. So Moses is doing all of this alone, and that means he's by default failing to raise up leaders, failing to grow his people, failing at, uh, at the task. He's failing at the task of judging because people are being worn out. And he's failing because he was never meant to do it all alone, all by himself. What he has now is two million people or roundabouts. That's the estimate that we've been working with through Exodus. Two million people that are completely dependent upon him. And if he, and he who is one person, and if he gets hit by a bus, I'm, well, he's not going to get hit by a bus, but you know, <laughs> if he gets hit by a camel or if something, something happens, nobody can lead. Nobody knows the truths of God. Nobody, uh, and we know that's not going to happen, but it, the same thing applies. Our job in making disciples is not to make people dependent upon us, but to raise up disciples who can then raise up disciples. People are our project. And that's what Jethro points out. He says, after Moses says, listen, this is what I'm doing. I have to be the one that, that dis 
settles their disputes and, and teaches them the statutes of God and all of this. I, I, I'm Moses. I'm, I'm the prophet. I'm, I'm the one God you know, chose to, to lead this people. And Jethro says, Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is not good. You and the people with you, look at it, will certainly wear yourselves out. Why? For this thing is too heavy for you. And this is why you're not able to do it alone. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, was not impressed with Moses' drive, with his energy, with his dedication, with his responsibilities, or with his status as the most important man in Israel. He says, what you're doing is not good. Jethro knew what many people in the Christian life don't know today. Moses' method of operation was destructive. And it was destructive not just for Moses, which you can imagine, it'd be easy to wear yourself out doing what he's doing, but it was destructive for the people that he's trying to lead and protect and shepherd. He says, you and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. He says, you're going to wear yourself out. That's easy to see. It's clear he can't keep this pace. But the people are going to wear themselves out as well. How was Moses doing it all alone and this, this system that he had, how was that wearing the people out, do you think? Yeah, well, that's a big one. He said they would get frustrated because they weren't getting, they wouldn't get service. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? I have not a stupid thing, you know, this guy won't stop touching me or my kid, his kid won't leave my kid. Not dumb stuff, but like you have a serious, you need God's hand to come and settle this serious dispute. And you got to wait five days to see Moses because there's this huge long line of people with all kinds of things, from big things to small things, from little things to non-essential things. And you just have to wait five days or ten days or however long it is because there's this huge long line of people and Moses is the only one who can get it done. That's going to be tiresome for the people. They're going to get tired of that. Justice delayed is justice denied. You've probably heard that before. How else do you think? Yes, Frank? Yeah, that's true. He says... If you have to wait that long and you have a serious issue that needs solving, sometimes people take it into their own hands. And, and we know that's probably not beyond Israel. They probably would do that. You know, they, they have a, a history of, of uh, not doing things the godly way, let's, let's say, as we all do. Uh, but, but let's just also imagine, you know, we've got a dispute, or, or not even a dispute. Let's say, listen, I, I need clarity on what God wants in this situation. Okay, so what do I do? I go to Moses. And you go, and you get up early, and, and it's like going to the DMV. You know, you stand there. I need clarity. And eight hours from now, as I'm waiting in this line, I guess I'll get it. You know, it, it was wearisome. It was tiresome. And there would, there would eventually come a breaking point. As the only judge, people, people were getting tired of waiting around all day long from morning to evening knowing that justice for you might take a long time to come, knowing that hearing a word from the Lord might, might take a long time, it would take days even, you know, long line of people waiting. So Jethro says to Moses, Moses, this task is too heavy for you, and you cannot do it alone. 
Now, for most people in that position, put yourself in Moses' position, and here you have your father-in-law saying, you can't do this like this. What's your, what's your first thought? Huh? Get out of my business, he said. Yeah. So all of us, especially, you know, especially, I don't care, I'm going to say it, especially men, we have, we have this, no, this is, this is, this is true. We have this God-given aggressive nature. We're protectors, we're, you know, we're providers, we're, that's, that's a God-given thing, it's a good thing, there's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes when you tell me I can't do something, Buddy, I'm going to show you I can do it, you know. I always tell people when, when, when yeah, when, when uh, one of my favorite sayings is somebody says, we can't do that, and I always say, listen, the guy who says it's impossible needs to stay out of my way while I'm doing it, you know. That, that's a funny thing, but the reality is Moses, Moses was wrong in this, and Moses did not react the way that my flesh probably would have reacted. Well, uh, don't, don't think I can. I can do it all. So therefore, you just need to get out of my way. Um, Moses, you're not going to see any of that from, from him. Moses had taken on a burden that God had never intended him to bear all by himself. And that's true for the Christian life also. Whether we're talking about leading a ministry, serving in a ministry, or, or just growing as a disciple of Jesus Christ, or discipling others, our problem comes when we try to take upon ourselves a task to do alone that God has intended for us to do in community. You see it? So, so let's read through Jethro's advice and, and, and see how he, he, he advises him to fix this situation. In verse 19, Jethro tells Moses, Now, obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You now listen, listen, this is very a lot of people miss this in a lot of sermons and a lot of teachings about this, this advice in this text. He says, You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Do you see what he's saying? Is is something very important. Now he says more. He says, and you need to choose able men and you need to get them to help you. But but he, he's not saying, you know, if somebody sees you working too hard, burning the candle at both ends, on the road to burnout in your disciple making or your living for Christ or your ministry or whatever, their advice most of the time is going to be, you need to stop. You need to stop and you need to take some time for yourself. That's their advice. That's not Jethro's advice. He basically, it, before he says, choose men to help you, and this is how you're going to do it, he says, you're going to continue doing everything that you're doing. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moses, you are the prophet, the chosen leader of God's people, and you cannot stop being that. You cannot stop doing that. And so Jethro's advice is not take a break. Jethro doesn't suggest that Moses give up judging Israel or teaching Israel or uh, imparting God's statutes to Israel. 
He can't do that. That's his calling. That's what God has chosen him to do. He doesn't suggest that Moses shy away from his calling or stop judging or any of that. He's still the prophet. He's still the mediator. He's still the teacher. He's still the judge. Yet Joseph's, so uh, Joseph, so Jethro's is definitely concerned for Moses' sanity and his endurance. Um, and he's concerned for the people's well-being because this is not healthy. But I think Jethro's main concern is that Moses continue and be able to continue into the long-term future his calling. And the way that he's doing things is going to keep him from doing that. Does that make sense? Did I make that clear? Questions, comments? Okay. I think he knows, Jethro knows that every person in, all two million of these people need access to God's law, to God's statutes. And that's what's at stake here if something doesn't change. Moses is going to wear himself out. The people are going to wear themselves out. And that's why something has to change. So Jethro doesn't tell Moses, listen, stop doing what you're doing. Get other people to do it and take a break. He says, no, you're going to keep doing what you're doing. You're going to keep being the teacher, keep being the prophet, keep being the, the judge. But he proposes a new system, a plan that's going to more efficiently decide the legal cases and also provide for lack of a better way to put it, pastoral care, shepherding to all the people all the time so they don't have to wait for 15 days or however long it takes to wait. His advice is not that Moses stops, but that he stopped doing it by himself. Verse 21 says, Moreover, after he just told him, you're going to keep doing this, you're going to keep being the teacher, you're going to keep showing them God's law, but moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And so, listen, he has to elevate qualified leaders. That's what Jethro is telling him. You're going to keep doing what you're doing, but you have to elevate qualified leaders. And he specifies some of the qualifications that they need. And notice those qualifications in verse 21. It says nothing about their experience, their work experience, or their leadership skills. Nothing about their education. Nothing about their wealth. Nothing about their, their standing or status among the people. The qualifications are, are almost all moral and spiritual. And the first one deals with their relationship to God. He says, you go and you choose people from among, choose men from among the people, and they must be men who fear God. What does it mean to fear God? To respect God, but what does that look like? How, what kind of life does that produce? A life of obedience to God's commands? Yeah. Of serving, absolutely. Uh, that's a good one too. So we know, because we've read the text, we know what these guys are going to do. They're going to judge the smaller cases of people of ten, they're over tens and fifties and hundreds, and, and they're going to be judges over those disputes or all those kind of things. Why would it be important for, let's say, a, a judge, in the traditional sense, we would think of a judge, who is judging a dispute between two people to fear God more than anything else? Yeah, he's going to do the godly thing. He's going to do 
you know, he's not going to be intimidated by this person has more money than this person, or this person can beat me up and this person can't, or, or, or whatever. He's going to fear God. A qualified leader is one who doesn't fear what the people think or promote their own agenda or seek their own accomplishment or their own position, not even their own ministry success. The chief desire of this person should be to glorify God alone means being willing to give people counsel that they might not like sometimes and to do so because they fear God. Second thing he says there is that they have to be trustworthy and they have to hate a bribe. They must be reliable, one who keeps their word. That's an easy one. Why is it important for a judge over the people, a leader over the people to hate a bribe and be honest and trustworthy? Yeah. I mean, you can imagine what's going to happen. Hey, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a Hebrew name. Okay, yeah, Joshua, jo- Joshua snuck into my tent and stole my stuff. And Joshua's rich, and Joshua said, I didn't steal none of his stuff. Okay, I fine for the defendant. He didn't steal none of your stuff. Yeah, no, that's not justice. That's not godly. That's not... So the men that you choose, Moses, they, they have to be honest. They have to hate bribes. They have to not be in it for themselves. They must be reliable, one who keeps their word characterized by integrity and honesty, not greedy for personal gain or glory or any of those things. And they must be people that love others. You can't disciple people that you don't love. You can't serve people that you don't love. Later in Deuteronomy chapter 1, um, as the people are about to go into the promised land, uh, Moses uh, gives three speeches in Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy chapter 1, in the first speech, Moses reflects on this time when he implemented this process. And if we read that, we gain some insight as to the qualifications and how he chose these people. In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 9, Uh, It says, Moses is speaking to the people, uh, and he says, At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today numerous as the stars of heaven. May uh, May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are, and bless you as he has promised you. Then he says, How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes, he's saying, this is what I said to you, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads, and you and you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us, we'll do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and, and officers throughout your tribes, and I charged your judges at that time, listen, Hear the cases between your brothers. Judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien, the stranger who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all these things that you should do. So he recounts how he implemented it. And in that passage, 
It's those who fear God, those who are trustworthy, those who are not intimidated by people and what they think, those who are impartial, that are going to hear the small and the great. And so he gives some of the other qualifications of these people. But if you notice in Deuteronomy 1, when Moses talks about how he implemented Jethro's advice, it was the people also that helped him choose the people that would be these people. And so what we see here is Jethro has given this organizational model to help. And in verse 22, as we go back to Exodus 18, we're almost done. We only go to 27 or 23 or whatever. It doesn't matter. We'll get there. He says, and let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you. And look at it and they will bear the burden with you. So the, the premise is that the lower court judges, in effect, would be available at all times for the people. They wouldn't have to wait for days and days and days and days for one guy. They would be judging and discerning all of the simpler cases, all of the cases that, that didn't take you know, a rocket scientist to figure out, simple cases, things that they could decide themselves having, having learned and been you know, uh, taught in God's law. And people would have daily access to these judges so they wouldn't be worn out waiting for justice. And Jethro says, this is going to help you bear this burden. This is going to take some of the weight off of Moses. Now, Moses is still going to preserve his role as the prophet, as the leader, as the teacher. They're going to handle the easy matters, and they're going to bring the more difficult ones to him. So his caseload is going to just drop immediately. Moses is going to remain a judge, but it's more kind of like a Supreme Court judge. You see that? So that's the organizational model. That model in this text is often used for you know, leadership conferences and business models. And it's even been used, you know, for American jurisprudence. You know, you have the smaller court and the bigger court and the next court and the Supreme Court and all that. But this wasn't purely practical or worldly advice from Jethro. Now, I want you to really see this because the ESV really jacks this translation up. Most of your other Bibles will have it, I believe, more correct. Jethro gives him the advice. He gives him the model. In verse 23, he says, If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and this people will also go to their place in peace. So it sounds like here, which I think is an incorrect translation of the Hebrew, he says, If you do this, God will show you what to do, and everything's going to be fine. What, you, who's got a different translation in their lap? What does it say? Go ahead. Right. It's so, the, the, the what? Good news. Okay, good news. I didn't look at that translation, but I think the NIV, the New American Standard, Holman Christian Standard, even the, the New Living Translation, which I don't really like, gets it right. It says, if you do this as God commands, or if so, God commands. So Jethro is not saying, Moses. I'm a priest of Midian, and I know I just got here, and I'm just in the covenant community, but let me tell you how you need to structure the people of God. No, Jethro gave his counsel, but he told basically Moses to make sure that his advice was in keeping with God's will. If you do this 
and, and so God commands, or as God commands. Jethro didn't presume to rearrange Israel's judiciary on his own authority. But as a new member of this worshiping community, he brought a plan that was to be submitted by Moses to God for his approval. And it's basically as if Jethro is saying, listen, I told you what I think. You need to go to God. Make sure that God is, uh, this is God's will and God's purpose. And then, then if you do this, you'll be able to endure. Uh, the people will be able to endure. And most importantly, I think, your people will get to the promised land, but not just get there, but get there in peace, without the infighting, without the disputes, without all the things that are going on. So how is this like the New Testament teaching regarding the members of the body of Christ? How does it compare? It's not exactly a one-to-one -one correspondence, but what are some similarities? How does it compare? Okay. Huh? Huh? Well there, well, there will be peace, but no one can do this alone. No one can. Now, I'm talking about, I'm not, you might be thinking, you know, well, I'm not really a ministry leader, so it's not really applying to me. No, we're not talking about that alone. That, of course, is included. No one can do it alone. But we're even talking about living the Christian life. We're talking about making disciples. We're talking about the leadership that God has given you. Every one of you has a role of leadership somewhere in your life, whether it's family, whether it's job, whether it's you know, disciples who look up to you. Every one of you have a leadership role. And the reality is when we are, are following Christ, when we're living for Him, when we're striving for Him, you can't do it by yourself. You cannot, you cannot make disciples by yourself. You want to say something, Scott? Of course. Absolutely. So basically, Scott made the correct analogy, I think, of number one, this is the way that Jesus taught us to make disciples. Jesus raised up 12 men. And granted, as Jesus was teaching them, they didn't get it most of the time. But when, when Christ, Christ was discipling them to be able to continue the ministry after he had ascended to heaven, and then that ministry, each of those 12 disciples was given, we're told in the New Testament that you are to pass that on to disciples who can pass that on. So our task, every single one of you in this room, whether you're a technically a, what you might say, a ministry leader or a business leader or whatever, it doesn't matter because we have been given the task, the calling, the commission to make disciples. That does not mean to make Two or three people that I'm discipling dependent upon me for their whole life. Uh, it means raising them up to be a disciple of Jesus Christ who can then go and make a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yes, Don.
Sure, sure. To teach teachers to teach, right? Yes, Barbara. No, we're not talking about me tonight, Ms. Barbara. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So, I, I, yeah, I am concerned. I'm concerned about everyone, you know. Yeah, if I'm able, if I'm able. So, there is a, there is a line. Yes, number one, I do fail at that a lot. And the failure is not that I... So, he, okay. Yeah, I'm not, what are you doing? <laughs> the, failure is, the failure is my organizational leadership to raise up people who are able, willing, and can do that. My, my issue, which I don't think necessarily applies here, but it could. Uh, my issue is if I'm, for instance, if I'm, if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm, caught, I'm, I'm, let's say I'm studying for sermon prep for Sunday morning to present the word to the congregation, and something happens, somebody calls, uh, so-and-so is going to the emergency room, um, I might very well say, I, I'll get there as soon as I can possibly get there. Um, and and I, might, you know, I, might, I might wait in doing that. Now, the other, the other side to that is, you know, if I'm sitting at home watching a football game and somebody calls, there's no reason for me not to go. Um, but my, yes, my failure is many times in the fact that I have, it's just like I said with my son in the garage. You know, it's easier for me just to get it done rather than it is to build a structure for other people to do it. And yes, that's a, that's a failure of mine in, in many, many areas, many times. Thanks. But we are, I mean, there was 360 people here at church Sunday. So if we keep on going like, even if we stay right here, there's going to have to be, there's going to have to be some changes made about how we do things, how we do pastoral care, how we, I mean, because you just can't, one person can't be everywhere. You can't be everywhere at one time. You can't do everything at one time. I realize that. And we are, we're going to do our best to work toward that. Right. That is, and it is, it indeed. Uh, that's why, yeah, he said that's one of the reasons why when we went to hire a new staff member, we wanted a pastor, not just a, you know, not just a ministry leader, not just a music, music leader. We wanted a pastor that could come alongside and help that. He's doing a great job so far. So finally, we see Moses apply this. He puts it into action, and that means... 
That means it must have been okayed by God because he said, if God so wills, and then Moses applies it. Last verses we'll read. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of all of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times, any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart and went away to his own country. So I'm sure it was a welcome relief probably to Moses when all this took place and a lot of his burden was relieved. Um, but you also have to see that, you know, by Moses implementing this strategy, he didn't, he didn't let his human nature or his ego get in the way. You know, he didn't let the, the sense of failure that I can't do this alone and I'm not, you know, I'm not good enough. He didn't, get, he, he didn't do any of that. He, he implemented this. Uh, you don't see any of that from Moses. He, he understands that it's not about him. It's about what's best for the people. And he's not able to judge and to teach and to do all those things to all the people because of all this stuff. So he chose able men to judge the smaller things, and they did. Um, and then Jethro leaves for home. So there's some people that asked me the other day, if, if when Jethro leaves, did Moses' family stay? I think they did because Gershom's sons later are going to serve as priests. But we never hear of his wife, Zipporah, again. But the point of all this... And, and just bringing it down home to one point as we get ready to leave is that when, when growth happens and ministry happens and discipleship happens so that, let's talk church for a minute before we talk about discipleship. When growth happens so that ministry is being hindered by the current way things are done, the structure has to change. The message can never change. The, the gospel can never change. The, the elements of ministry, the preaching of the word, the shepherding of people, the discipling of people, the prayer, the, none of that can change. But the structure of how we do that sometimes needs to change. Scott also brought up Acts chapter 6. That was, that was the big problem. You know, the apostles were doing their thing and they were in charge of everything and the Hellenistic widows weren't getting fed. And so something had to change. Apostle says, we're going to be focused on the word and prayer. And they appointed the first deacons to, to begin that ministry and to serve those people and to make sure that that was done. So the message didn't change. The word didn't change. The preaching, the gospel, none of that changed. The ministry didn't change. But the structure of how things got done and the needs are met changed. Our commission as a church and as individuals is not to get tasks done. It's to make disciples who turn and then make other disciples. That's what Jesus did. That's what the Apostle Paul did. Um, disciples who carry on the ministry. And this is not just a truth for ministry leaders or churches either. The principles which are found here, they apply to every Christian. You are a leader. You are the steward of your time, of your gifts, of your opportunities that God has given you. And you have to take leadership in your own life. You have to take leadership which involves managing those things uh, that God has made you stewards of. Do you know what the biggest hindrance in my life as far as my own personal, um, my own personal uh, time with God and discipleship of... I'm not talking about 
studying the Bible to give sermons or to give lessons. I'm talking about my own time with God, which is absolutely necessary. The biggest hindrance is that I am not taking leadership of my life and I'm chasing after all the urgent things that have to be done today rather than dealing with the really important things that should be done. So, and I did that with my children. And I had to go back and apologize to uh, my oldest son before as well because, you know, I, I did that. It was important. It's important for you to get out in the yard and play ball with him and to spend time with him. But often I let the urgent things, this got to be done now. I got to have the grass cut. You know, I've got to get the grass cut today so I can't play ball with you. And the urgent things start piling up and you put the important things aside because we're trying to get the urgent things done. And now here I am 20 years later, I could care less if my grass is... My yard's the worst looking yard on my block. But... (laughs) But man, I wish I would have played more ball with my son. You know what I mean? I wish I would have spent more time. That grass could get this high. I could care less. But man, I should have played more ball with him. I should have spent more time with him. We let the urgent get in the way of the important. And that's what Moses was doing. It's urgent. You got 8,000 people standing out your door. We need you. We need you. We need you. And Moses was getting the urgent things done. And he was neglecting the important things. And that's an understanding that um, also we can't do this alone. No matter who you are. No matter how spiritual you are, no matter how mature you are, you cannot live this Christian life, cannot make disciples, you cannot be engaged in the ministry and the service of the Lord by yourself. You cannot fulfill the great commission that Jesus Christ has given us alone. If you try, you will fail. If you try to grow as a Christian all by yourself, alone, without the body of Christ, you will fail. We're not called to keep ministries or disciples dependent upon us. We're, we're called to raise them up. And that's, it's so much easier just to do it alone, to do it by myself. If you want to go fast and get it done, just do it by yourself. But if you want to go far, then you bring others with you. And that's the way we have to do it. Questions, comments? Didn't. Yeah. I think we can look at ourselves right now in life that especially what's happened in my life within the last month. Yeah. Yeah. He is, he is there. Yeah. He's time we need him to help us to go and to make disciples. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's a lesson that we all I mean I look around and, you know, we know each other. I've been here five years. I know most of y'all pretty well. Y'all know me pretty well. Pretty much everybody in here, we love the Lord. We want to serve the Lord. We want to do right. We want to do well. We want to be faithful. We want to do all those things. And, and sometimes, like Barbara says, you know, we just, we just get in our own way. You know, I get in my own way. And it, it may comfort you to know that I came back telling the staff 2023 is going to be a little different. We're going to do things a little different because we can't, we can't keep the pace that we're going and we're going, to, we're going to do some things. So any other questions? Any other comments? Any other? Um, 
Anything? Okay, well, let's pray. Father, we do love you, and we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, the truth of your word, God, even when it, it, uh, it, it smacks us between the eyes. God, you are, your word is correct, and if, we, uh, if, we're not, uh, if we're not living according to it, then we're wrong, as simple as that. So God, I pray that you would help us to be faithful, that you'd be, help us to be faithful to your commission, to your calling, to, uh, to be instruments used by you. Um, God, that's all we desire. We, that help us to not worry about success, help us to not worry about what we measure as success or what we think you know, makes a successful disciple. Or Help us just to be faithful. You told us what to do. You told us how we are to do it. You told us you've given us each other to uh, be our companions, our brothers and sisters, our mentors, our disciples. Uh, our disciplers and the people that we're discipling, you've given us one another. God, help us just to be faithful, faithful in all areas. Forgive us where we sin. Forgive us where we are not doing the way that you've called us to do. And we pray, God, that you would help us to grow and mature and to, um, and to serve you with a, um, with a whole heart. We do thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah.